Nick, you're so funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes. So, all right. So today we are going to discuss something that could be very controversial. Bible dingers. And um, just so you guys know, there are two very popular ways three. to read. Three very popular <laughs> ways to read the Bible. And that is covenant theology or dispensationalism. And um, New Covenant Theology. And New Covenant Theology. Um, and we'll hit that on another episode. But the, the two most popular ones are definitely Covenant or Dispensationalism. We will hit Dispensationalism on a future episode with someone really special, and we can't wait to share that with you. Super special. But today, we are with Pastor Chris Gardner from Metropolitan Baptist Church in Brooklyn, New York. So real quick, uh, we just wanted to tell you guys that there's a few different ways that you can interpret the Bible and your relationship with God. There's covenant theology, new covenant theology, and there's dispensationalism. Today we're sitting down with Pastor Chris to talk about covenant theology and how we can interpret the scriptures and our relationship with God through the lens of covenant theology. In another episode, we're going to talk about dispensationalism. I'm not so sure we're going to hit on new covenant theology, but that's also out there. But yeah, today we're sitting down with Pastor Chris to go over covenant theology. Mm. Before that, though. Before that, though. Let's jam out, baby. Yeah. Mark, raise that volume, yeah. son. Yeah. Yeah. Where you been? Where you been? Where you been? Hey, hey I'm right here. Where you been? Where you been? We're right here. About to talk about covenant theology. Hey. Breaking news on Bible Dingers News Network. Oof. I know I'm going to get you guys on this one. As always, we're opening the show with fake news or real news. Is that what it's called now? I mean, what else would it be called? I don't know. You've called it fake news or real news. You've called it fact or not. You've called it That's true. truth or a lie. I don't know. Let's, let's establish a name. What do you think the best name for this segment is? News or news or not news? I don't know. I think, I think fake news. Like fake people news saying news. fake news. Is so like relevant and popular. Mm, mm. We can hashtag fake news, and we'll probably get some clicks on it. Here's the thing: you, you'll give us headlines. Like it's not up to us to determine if it's fake news or real news. You're, you're asking us if it's a real headline or not. That's that's well. The the, if it's a fake headline, then it's fake news, isn't it? Sort of. Oh come on. So. Anyway. All right, hit us with the hit. Feel us. free to chime in too. And today, Mark is sick. Oof. He doesn't feel like talking. He says we don't <laughs> want to hear his voice, but we just heard it, and it sounds fabulous. Ooh, better than usual, actually. I think I'm going to get you guys on this one. All right, so, hit us. The Gospel, according to Britney. New musical tells the story of Jesus Christ through Britney Spears' pop songs. <laughs> is this real news or fake news? So... Read it one more time. The gospel, according to Britney. <laughs> Oops, I did it again. <laughs> New musical tells the story of Jesus Christ through Spears' pop songs. It sounds pretty toxic. Oof. <laughs> I think that's real news. I think it's fake news. You don't think that's real? No. That's, I don't know, bro. That sounds, that sounds too good to be fake. It sounds too much like a cliche from the 1960s. Mm. I'm going to answer him since he's the guest of the show. Okay. All right. So you're saying it's fake news. Absolutely. Oh! It's real news. Dang. It's real news, but it's old news. It's old news? I just news? thought the headline was too sweet to, mm. to pass up because mm. I knew I was going to catch one of you guys. Tell us did. about it. So the gospel according to Brittany. Britney Spears will meet the Bible in a new Broadway musical telling the story of Jesus Christ through pop star songs. Um, <laughs> let me scroll. So apparently this happened in 2013. So it is Ooh. old news. I just wanted to stump one of you. Mm. Apparently at this time, they chose 
her songs, Oops, I Did It Again, all these other songs, and they did it in a way that taught the gospel. I don't know how they did this. Hit me, baby, one more time. <laughs> like how? I don't, <laughs> Dude, I don't even know how they did it. What's but, some other ones? Um, Hit me, baby, one more time. Oops, lucky, I did it again. Lucky. Lucky. He's so lucky. He's a son. Is that Britney Spears? Uh, 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 uh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess we're lucky we have the gospel. I don't know how they uh, did this. I have no idea. That's some good stuff. <laughs> huh? Well, yeah, that's a perfect one. Womanizer? To share that's the gospel. Also Womanizer. I guess I'm not up on my Britney Once again, <laughs> I miss Mark, man. I miss you. Can you get better? Yeah. We got to proclaim Jesus' healing power on you right now. You're not working hard enough. Oh. Ooh. He hit us with what the, is that? He hit us with the Hail Mary. <laughs> the Hail Mary? Yeah. He threw a football? No. Is there a sign for Hail Mary now? What? You don't know what a Hail Mary is? Yeah, in football. No. No. That's what it's Hail called? Hail Mary full of grace. That's not what it's so really on called. And so forth. Yes, that's, it is. There's another name for that. That's that's the Hail Mary. Is that like a millennial term for it now? What? <laughs> no. That's not what they call it, bro. That is it. Football copied the actual Hail Mary. This is the actual Hail Mary. I thought the Hail Mary was the Hail Mary. Hail Mary full of grace. The Lord is with thee. That's the Hail Mary. Yeah, and then you do this. Right? Isn't that right? That means Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's not called a Hail I Mary, it was bro. The Hail Mary. We could do this all day. We're not saying Hail Mary. Nobody's actually seeing our hand gestures right now. <laughs> Which they are, though. <laughs> they can close their eyes and envision it. Oh, we're doing the thing where you do the head and the heart, and then we're doing the thing where we're the doing pecs. the head and the heart and the two. Pecs. What's the actual? You would know this. What's the name for that? I have no idea. Come on. <laughs> It's the Hail Mary, I'm telling you. It's in you. your credentials. Oh. You should know this. <laughs> How would you look that up? What would you type it? The Hail um, Mary. What's the head and the heart in, thing that Catholics do? I don't know. The, <laughs> put the Hail Mary into YouTube. Maybe there's a video. <laughs> it's going to be It's gonna be there's a song. It's going like this. Yeah. It could be. Yeah. Britney Spears? Oh. Yeah, just type in Britney Spears. Oh, it all You'll get to, the gospel. It's starting to come from full Google. circle now. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I got a lot more, but we have to start the show. Yeah. Um, we have Pastor Chris with us. Hit him with the credentials. You want to do that now? Yeah. Might as well. All right. Hold on. First of all, we got to drop the location. Where are we at? Metropolitan Baptist Church. Ooh. For those of you that really want a good family-oriented church that preaches the gospel, that believes in sola scriptura, which means only scripture. Mm. Um. Come to 1624 84th Street. It's called Metropolitan Baptist Church. We have their Hold pastor. On, is this 84th Street in what, San Diego? Brooklyn, New York. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's pretty important. I Listen. Yeah, so if I you're listening assume, in Seattle, okay. this probably isn't for you. <laughs> listen, with drops like this. Are you doing? Are you doing? You know yeah, where we're talking probably, out yeah. of, all right? Yeah. And you, you start hearing me talk, and you know straight away where I'm from, okay? Ooh, yeah. You can always check us out on www.metbaptist.com. Ooh. So. Solid drop. Oof. Tell us about, tell us about our guest today. All right, we have... Pastor Christopher and the, Gardner, the, the one and only. I'm sure there's other Pastor Amen. Chris on our, but he's the best. Mm. Pastor Chris and Gardner. Mm. Um, he's a pastor I grew up with. For those of you that, that know me, know that there hasn't been much time that passed without me bringing him up at least five times. Mm. Um, I've known you for a while. I brought him up a while. Uh, along, oh, I brought him up a lot. On a daily basis almost. I don't know about that. <laughs> but I admire the man more than his wife. <laughs> I admire him. I love him. But even more than that, he's he's just not an awesome guy. He's he's a guy that that really has a lot of credentials to talk about the topic we're talking about today. <laughs> Pastor Chris Garner. He has a B.A. in biblical studies from Taylor University, a master's degree in religious studies and a master's in divinity as well from Westminster Theological Seminary. And he's been teaching for 23 years at New York School of the Bible, senior pastor of Metropolitan Baptist Church, as we said. And I introduce our listeners to Pastor Chris Gardner. Great to be uh, with you guys uh, today. Uh, this looks like it's going to be a lot of uh, fun. Well, at the same time, we're going to be dealing with perhaps some of the, the most serious issues 
that anyone can when we're talking about the Word of God. So it's great to be with you guys. That's good stuff. Yeah. So why what what are we talking about with Pastor Chris today? So as we brought up in in previous episodes, there are different ways to read the Bible. Um, two probably the two most popular ways to read it is using covenant theology or dispensationalism. Um, kind of as a lens. Yeah, it's a mm-hmm. lens by which you read the Bible. It's the lens by which you understand it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really don't communicate our biases on the show. Our goal is not to push you in a corner so you have to believe this, but I think it's a perfect opportunity to talk about our biases for a second. Just say a little piece of who we are now. I guess. You don't want to do that? Not really. I mean, people should know. You're a dispensationalist. I'm a covenant believer. I'm a soft dispensationalist, but it's because... Because you met me, you became a soft dispensationalist? <laughs> no. no. It's because I know very little about this subject. This is my weakest subject, like 100%. The reason why... I'm, I'm a dispensationalist by association because my school taught that. And I trust my professors, essentially. That That's is not like, what you were saying a month ago. That is not true. You're like, this is the only way to <laughs> Oh, it. you're such a liar. <laughs> I've never <laughs> said that about anything. Yeah, you did. No, no, anyway. So these are the two character, most... Character assassination. All right. Whatever. <laughs> it is what it is. But that's not what you were saying a month ago. Am this I is all getting g- chopped, right? <laughs> Am I starting to get to you a little bit? Yeah, a little bit. Soft dispensational. That's new. Yeah. Anyway... Pastor Chris is here to support covenant. the idea of covenant theology. Um, he's going to explain to you why he believes what he believes. And then later on in the show, we'll have a professor on the show that supports dispensational theology as well. Right. So I'm on. That's right. You're right. right. On the spot. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing fine. <laughs> <laughs> and how you doing? Ooh. All right. Ooh, so, a- uh, guys... Um, when you, when you come to the Bible, we all recognize that the Bible has, uh, is one book, and yet it has 66 individual books within it. And there are different ways of looking at that. You can look at it and say, okay, we've got 66 books. Um, we need to understand what each of those books say individually. Or we can look at those books and say, okay, this is... Uh, one play with 66 acts within that play. That's the way I, I see the Bible. It is not a, uh, a, a bunch of individual books or even individual sections of, of books, but rather it's 66 acts in one play. Mm-hmm. God's purpose in creation carried through until the final act, which is the new creation, mm-hmm. right? And everything in between that is moving from the original creation, moving us straight through to that, that final act, right? So when we look at the Scripture, if we see the Scripture as um, you know, God acting in this way here and that way there, then, uh, then we're breaking up those, those acts. But if we see it as one continuous whole, but opening in Revelation, expanding what we know, then we see it all as one continuous flow. Mm. So even when we're talking about the Old Testament or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, we're not seeing those as um, as separate acts of God, but what we're seeing is that God working uh, to fulfill His purpose in creation is... Uh, is moving in in um, in physical ways in Israel, but is ultimately moving to reveal through Jesus Christ that ultimate purpose of the new creation. Okay, so when we're talking about the the scriptures, we have to remember that when Jesus was teaching and the apostles were teaching, and they're teaching the new covenant, they're teaching us about you know God's purpose in Christ. What are they teaching from? They're teaching from the Old Testament. Right. Okay. All of their teaching is is from before the New Testament is written. So when they are quoting Scripture, they're quoting the Old Testament, and yet they're quoting the Old Testament as New Covenant stuff. 
Okay, so the point is that the Old Testament is not uh, a, a separate entity or a separate section of the Bible. It is simply different in perspective and power, but the content of the Old Testament is the same. So when we're looking at the, the, the teaching of the Old Testament, we're looking at, uh, at God's giving us, um, as the New Testament calls it, shadows and types. Okay, pictures that need a reality. Everything in the Old Testament then is a picture. Now, did that happen? Yes, just as an artist would draw a picture and that would be a real picture. But that picture is not the reality. It is simply pointing us to the reality. So everything in the Old Testament is, it, it happened. They were actual events, right? The writers are writing about their day and what's going on in their day. And yet God is using that as a picture to point us forward to the new covenant. So if God is unchanging and has from eternity purposed his one will, right? He's got one goal in mind. Then the whole of his revelation is the unfolding of one story, not multiple stories. The scripture is multi-layered, right? I mean, Certainly we don't read uh, the book of Genesis or the book of Leviticus the same way that we're going to read the book of Matthew or the book of Hebrews. Mm -hmm. okay? So there are multiple layers that, uh, that we uh, see there, but it is one um, consistent whole when we look at the whole picture. Mm -hmm. Just as you watch a movie, and as you're watching the movie, the movie begins by introducing characters. Right. All right, and those characters are important, but you don't really know what they're going to be doing, what their, their ultimate purpose is. Mm -hmm. And so if it's a mystery, right, which the New Testament says that the Old Testament was a mystery, it was not fully revealed, you didn't understand it until Christ came. So if it's a mystery, you get these characters, but you, you don't know what's, who's the good guy, who's the bad guy in these characters. Mm -hmm. And eventually, as the story unfolds, you get more information, more information, more information. And then ultimately, boom, you know, that final scene when, uh, you know, Sherlock Holmes puts it all together and they nab the bad guy. Mm. Right. So that's really what we see with the New Testament. The New Testament is that boom. It's that that ultimate conclusion to what's been unfolding. So let me walk you through that a little bit so we've got an idea of what I'm talking about, all right? So the Bible begins with Adam and Eve. The creation, and then Adam and Eve within that creation, and God has a covenant that he establishes with uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, all right? And that covenant includes four parts to it. God says, be fruitful and multiply, all right? So that means that they're to bring forth a godly seed or a godly line, right? And then God tells them, uh, takes them and puts them in the Garden of Eden. So there's a godly land that they have. And then he tells them, don't eat of the fruit of, of that tree, because in the day that you do, you will die, all right? Mm -hmm. So God is calling them to a godly lifestyle. And then God is in communion with them. God is in fellowship with them. And, and so God is their God and they're God's people. And that's godly love, mm -hmm. right? So we have the line, the land, the lifestyle, and love. Mm -hmm. Those are the four aspects of, uh, of God's covenant with Adam and Eve. And all the way through, when we're looking at all the different aspects of covenants, whether it's the Noahic covenant or the Abrahamic covenant or the Mosaic covenant or the Davidic covenant or the New Covenant, okay, all of those have those four aspects to them. So if you, uh, if you look at, at Noah, now Noah is the antitype in, in a sense. Noah is uh, the, the loss of all of those four things, right? So in terms of uh, Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, all those people get killed. Right. Right. All but, but those that are saved um, by God's grace, uh, everybody else is killed. Right. The land that God had created is destroyed. Mm hmm all right? The lifestyle is what caused all of that, right? Everyone was wicked, the scripture says, completely, totally, mm -hmm. right? And so the love relationship with God is gone. So it's the anti-type, it's the uncreation. 
you got the creation, then you've got the uncreation, and then God, in a, in a sense, is is taking that, and and as He saves Noah and his family, is saying to them, okay, now you go out and and continue the purpose that I had with Adam and Eve, hmm. in that same way, in that same covenant. So we move from the Noahic covenant to the Abrahamic covenant, and in the Abrahamic covenant, the the focus of the Abrahamic covenant, sort of like in a play, you get one character, right? And you're taught about that character. Mm -hmm. So in the Abrahamic covenant, the focus is on uh, the line. Okay, you're going to have a seed, you're going to have, you're going to have an offspring. And that offspring, you know, it's going to be, you know, for the nations, and, and there's going to be a blessing through that offspring and all those kind of things. But at the same time, God promises a land, the land of, of Canaan. Um, so he promises them the land. He also calls them to, to the godly lifestyle, of which circumcision is the symbol of that. And then God says, and so I will be your God and, and, and you can be my, my people. That moves from the Abrahamic covenant then into the, to the Mosaic covenant. In the Mosaic covenant, you have the same thing, except you have a different focus. In other words, you have a new part of this, this uh, mystery unfolding. And so you have the people now, but they need a land. In order to get to that land, they have to meet God and have a godly lifestyle. So what do we have? We have the law. And God says, now, if you're going to be my people, this is what you have to do. Right? So we have the offspring. We have the, 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 the people. But now we need... To, uh, to, to have those people know how to live if they're going to live in God's kingdom, in his land. So the Mosaic Covenant focuses on that, while at the same time reminding them that he's taken them to a land and that, they, that they're going to be his people and he's going to be their God. So the four aspects of the covenant are still there. We just have a, a focus on one part of it. And then we move from that into the Davidic kingdom. Right? So the line of David is still the line. It's still this, this godly line, right? And you have the nation of Israel, the people of Israel are part of that. And they are the, the king is supposed to read the law to those people so they know how to live, the Mosaic law. But what are they gaining under the Davidic is the land. Right? He's giving them the kingdom. He's giving them this, this area all the way from the Euphrates River down to Egypt, right? All of that is under the Davidic kingdom. So they now have the land. But as the prophets will point out, even though they have the people, they have the, the, um, the law, and they have the land, what's missing? The love. They're not in love with God. They're constantly violating God's covenant. They're constantly breaking that. And as a result of that, the prophets are calling them to this godly love. Prophets saying, you gotta, you got to learn what it means to walk in relationship with God. So those are not different dispensations or different uh, ways that God is working. It's one continuous way. It's simply an opening of a revelation. And what happens when we come to the New Covenant? Well, just like with Noah, and everything is lost, so the same thing is true of Israel. right? They're kicked out of the land. And even when they come back to the, the land, it's only a few of them. They come back into the land um, there, but they don't own the land. They're not in control of the land, right? The line is scattered. It's all over the place. Um, you know, the Jews are, are in all these different countries. They don't have the land. They still don't understand the lifestyle. They've turned it into legalism, um, but they're, they're still not living out the, the lifestyle that God calls them to, and they're missing the love relationship. So what has to happen? Well, just as with Noah, one man comes and starts that all over again. Under the new covenant, you have this restart, in a sense, through Jesus Christ. And what Jesus Christ is doing is fulfilling the purpose of the covenant. So he takes the, the people, right, the godly line, but it's through a new birth. It's not through a physical birth now. It's through a new birth. And then not only does he do that uh, in terms of the people, but he gives them a new heart. 
the new heart is the, uh, the, the, uh, the lifestyle, all right? The law is not written anymore on stone. It is now written on your heart, right? There also is the land. Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not a physical uh, property that we have. It is the, the reality of what it means to live in God's kingdom, right? Which is a, a spiritual kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom that will ultimately be the new heavens and the new earth. And then the relationship, okay? Through the new birth, God is no longer Yahweh, in that sense, he is, he still is the, the I am, but he is now Father. And there's a relationship that the people have with God that they could not have under the Old Covenant, right? And so now they have you know, this new, new lifestyle, they have, through the new heart, they have a, a new relationship with God, adopted into his family as, as sons, and it is not related to the physical, that is, just to descendants of uh, Abraham and of the, uh, the patriarchal line, but now it is to the original creation, to all nations, which was the promise again to Abraham. The promise to Abraham was not that he would just be the father of a nation, but that he would bring, he would be the father of many nations and he would bring all nations under the blessing of God. Hmm. And so in the new covenant, then what we see is that the, the, the physical line in a sense disappears and the, the uh, ultimate purpose of God is that all peoples come to him. And so when we see the, the, the new heavens and the new earth and we see the, the book of Revelation, what do we see around the throne? We don't just see Israelites, Jewish people. We see people of every nation, every tongue gathered together in the presence of God. And so when we're looking at the scriptures and seeking to uh, interpret them, we need to look at that as one consistent whole as God is working out his covenant and ultimately leading us to eternity. Cool. Okay. So I guess we do have just a few questions um, about covenant theology, and then that should be it. The first question would be, how do you sort of reconcile, I guess, the fact that God gave these promises to Abraham and seemingly Abraham's line, how do you kind of apply those promises to now Jews and Gentiles? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and it's, it's one that's asked quite often. Um, but let's uh, let's, in a sense, ask a few questions of that question. Okay. All right. Uh, the first question is: Was Abraham a Jew? Uh, the answer is no. Uh, Abraham was an individual who actually came from Ur of the Chaldees, uh, which means that he was more like a Babylonian than uh, what we would consider a, a, a Jew right. um, for that. And um, he was then brought over by God into the land of, of Canaan there and then given a promise. But what was that promise? You have to look at, at, at the promise that God gave, and then you have to look at how does the New Testament read that promise? Okay, so the first thing is that when God gives that promise, whether it's in chapter 12 or chapter 15 of uh, Genesis, when God gives the promise, he says to him, I'm going to give you a, a, a seed, a line. Okay, um, and, and from that seed then is going to come a multitude of nations, not just one nation, but a multitude of nations and, uh, you know, a number of people that are like the stars in the heaven or the sand in the, the, the seashore that are innumerable. Mm. Okay. Well, the Jewish people, okay, those Jewish people, uh, there's a lot of them, uh, but we wouldn't say that they are innumerable. Right. Right. Um, so when we, when we look at that promise, we have to say, well, in order for that to be fulfilled, uh, then it needs to be more than just Jewish people, um, that are part of that. So the, the, the Jewish nation per se, or the descendants of Abraham, um, those, that's only one 
of Abraham's children. Mm-hmm. Abraham had multiple children. He had a, a, a child by Hagar uh, named Ishmael, and out of that came the Ishmaelites, the Midianites, and, and the, the, the group there. And then he also had multiple children by Keturah, mm-hmm. right? His other wife uh, after Sarah died. And so Abraham has lots of children, okay? So he does become multiple nations mm-hmm. in that sense. Uh, in a physical sense, he becomes multiple nations, and we're told about uh, those descendants and, and you know who they are and where they came from. Uh, but but God is talking about more than just the physical descendants of Abraham. He is talking about the effect that uh, God's covenant promise to Abraham is going to have on the whole world. Mm-hmm. When the Apostle Paul looks at those promises that God gave to Abraham, he says he was not talking about those those physical people. He was not talking about all those things. As a matter of fact, the the uh, uh, he he takes the word that God says offspring, and he said he doesn't say offsprings. He says offspring, meaning one, and that's Christ. That through Jesus Christ, all the nations are going to be blessed. Right. So God's promise to Abraham, though it has certainly uh, you know, the physical aspects to it have far more than that. Uh, let me give you a, a, an illustration of that in a different place. In Isaiah 7.14, we have the promise that God gives to uh, Ahaz, the king of Israel, or the king of Judah, um, by Isaiah, that a child will be born, okay, and that child will be called Emmanuel meaning God with us. And so uh, when we look at that, um, as Christians, we look at it and we read it through the New Testament eyes. Matthew quotes that, and he says, uh, you know, a virgin will give birth to a son, and he's going to be called Emmanuel, and we see Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God come in the flesh. But the, the readers of Isaiah at the time of Isaiah are not looking or even thinking about Jesus Christ because Isaiah is talking about his wife who already has a child, so she's not a virgin, okay, already has a child, and that child that is to be born is Maharhala Shashbaz. Say that six times really fast. Maharhala Shashbaz. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) There's a soundbite for that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so... Uh, you <laughs> so for the people of, uh, of Isaiah's day, they are not looking even to the future because Isaiah tells them that by the time this child that is to be born is weaned, those two kingdoms you're worried about, Syria and Israel, those two kingdoms won't even exist anymore. Hmm. Okay? So within the next two years or so, those nations are going to be gone. That's a sign given to Ahaz. And yet the New Testament writer looks at that and says, yeah, but the word that's chosen by Isaiah is a word that can mean virgin or young woman of childbearing age. Mm-hmm. All right? And so the New Testament writer uses what God ultimately intended, which was that a virgin would give birth to a, a, a child, um, and he would be Emmanuel, God with us. The New Testament writer looks at what happened physically in, under the Old Covenant, right? the birth of Maharaj Shashbaz, and says, yeah, but really God was pointing us to Christ. All right? So the physical action in the, under the Old Covenant becomes a spiritual action under the New Covenant. Paul is doing the same thing with the promises God gave to Abraham. Mm-hmm. right? Yes, there is a physical people that are going to come from you. You are going to have a son. His name's going to be Isaac. Okay, uh, the blessing is going to be on him, and all those kind of things. But ultimately, God is talking about Jesus Christ, hmm. right? So when it comes to Abraham, we have to remember that Abraham is not a Jew. The Jews come from Abraham, but he is not a Jew. Okay, that he has multiple children, not just one child, but he has multiple children that become physical nations. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, God is talking about the nations. That all the nations will be blessed and all the nations will come through uh, into God's kingdom through 
the descendant of Abraham, which is Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, one question I just thought of um, that just popped in my mind. Um, I remember them teaching this is um, in Romans 11 when they talk about the Gentiles being grafted in. Mm-hmm. It kind of seems like he's making a distinction here between Israel um, and the Gentiles. So would you agree with that, that that portion of Scripture is kind of making a distinction, that there's two different people um, that God's in covenant with, both the Jews and the Gentiles? Or would you say, I guess, that um, he's applying the covenants of the Old Testament to the whole world, like you were saying earlier, and there's no distinction? Yes. Okay. Uh, to, to, to both, uh, to, to both uh, um, uh, yes, to both of those. Okay, um, certainly Paul is, is drawing a distinction between the physical descendants of, in chapter 11, uh, the physical descendants um, of, uh, of the nation of Israel, okay? Uh, and it, it, because he says, you know, I myself am, am an Israelite, mm-hmm. right? And he goes through then, and he says, and so God hasn't cast off the, uh, the Israelites. He says, not only am I, but... So are there many others who have come to a saving knowledge of, of uh, God through Jesus Christ uh, that are of Jewish descent. Mm-hmm. They are, are, are Israel, uh, people of Israel. Um, and so he, he makes that distinction, and he makes the distinction then of those uh, being the root and the tree, right. and, you know, from which... Uh, and he's done this several times. He's done it back in chapter 3 when he says, is there any benefit to being a, a, uh, a Jew. And he goes, absolutely. There's are the, uh, the patriarchs and, 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 you know, there's are the, the scriptures, uh, mm-hmm. are theirs. And from them came Jesus Christ. So yeah, there's a, a benefit. They've had the privilege of, uh, of truth that the Gentiles didn't have for 2000 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. So do they have a benefit? Absolutely. But he also points out, in chapter two, that having those things doesn't make them a child of God, and in that sense, then doesn't make them any more special, because the circumcision, he ends chapter two by saying the circumcision is not a circumcision of the flesh, it's a circumcision of the heart. And without that circumcision of the heart, it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, mm-hmm. okay, you're, you're condemned. Right. All right? And so they, 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 both the Jews and the Gentiles still have to come through faith in Jesus Christ. And in that sense, then the Gentiles are grafted into a tree that's already existed for 2,000 years. Okay. All right? So, yes, he makes that distinction, but then he goes on in, uh, in that chapter. And after um, the very controversial verse there that says, and, and, and therefore all Israel will be saved, mm. uh, he goes on. It, it the two or three verses after that and, and, and incorporates Gentiles and Jews into what he's talking about, all okay. right? So, uh, so ultimately, yes, there's a physical line and it, that's separate from the Gentiles, but once the new covenant comes into play, then they're all in Christ. And, and so the advantage is 2,000 years of Scripture and truth, but those two thousand years do not eliminate Jews or Gentiles, but rather it's now opened up to the whole, so that all become, in a sense, the Israel of God. And uh, I know that's a, a controversial statement um, from a dispensational perspective mm-hmm. to call the Gentiles the Israel of God, but I do believe that uh, in Galatians, when Paul uses that term, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. Okay, cool. And then I guess we can do the last question, um, which is dispensational theology would teach that there is yet to come a thousand year reign on the physical earth um, and that Jesus will come down and reign in Israel, so on and so forth. Uh, Can you kind of explain what covenant theology does to explain the thousand years that they talk about in Revelation? Sure. Um, first of all, uh, let me clarify something, and that is that, that covenant theologians come from a, you know, a variety of perspectives on that. Um, 
historically, if we go back to the early church, uh, until um, the 1840s, 1850s, up until that point, uh, there were three perspectives on the millennium, right? Um, they, the two that are the oldest is what's called historic uh, premillennialism, which did see a seven-year tribulation and then the coming of Jesus Christ, not coming before the tribulation, but after the tribulation, and then the establishment of, of an earthly millennial kingdom, but it wasn't a Jewish kingdom, mm-hmm. right? Um, the second perspective is what is commonly called amillennialism, or um, from those who hold that position is uh, realized eschatology, which says that the, um, the concept of the millennium is a concept of, of Christ ruling prior to the new heaven and the new earth. And so that from the time of Christ's resurrection and ascension into heaven, that he is ruling um, over the earth. And so realized eschatology, that is, we're in the last days, we're in the last times, and the millennium is the rule of Christ from heaven while here on earth we're still going through quote the tribulation the tribulation period being the whole period from the time of of christ's uh ascension until the the second coming so you have two things going on at the same time on earth tribulation but reigning with christ in heaven those who have died and entered into eternity with him okay Okay? so you have those so you you have those two views and then there's the post-millennial view which generally is is seen as uh, when everything is going well in the earth, there's no war and those kind of things. Uh, you know, the, that concept picks up um, when things are really going bad. People kind of drop out of it. Uh, but the post-millennial says that the world is going to get better and better and better and better. Right. You know, more Christians are going to cover the earth until, in a sense, Eventually. the millennia, the millennium is is the, the church. Um, you know, kind of ruling over the, the, the whole world. Right. Uh, all right. So within um, evangelical reform theology, there are people hold all three of those. But most fall under the amillennial camp. So okay. let me approach it from that perspective. All right. And um, there's, there's a number of, of issues. First of all, it's, it's very difficult to build a theology on uh, on one passage of scripture Mm. so you have to look at all of scripture all right um but even if you're just looking at revelation 20 there's a number of things that create problems if we're going to say that there's going to be a a physical uh millennium here on earth Uh, the first is that the um that the scripture does not say that that satan is bound and will not have any influence. It says that he is bound so that he cannot deceive the nations any longer. When did that happen, or when will that happen, becomes the question. For all millennialists, that happened when Christ came. Now, uh, up until then, the gospel was not able to go out to the whole world. You only had one nation or one people, right? Uh, and, And that's Israel. But with the coming of Jesus Christ, within 100 years, the message of the gospel has gone to most of the earth. In other words, it's, it's spread to the nations. It's gone as far as China. It's gone uh, up into Great Britain. It's gone across North Africa. Uh, so the, the, where it had been limited to just the Jewish people, now all of a sudden Satan is bound in the sense that he can't deceive the nations any longer. Christ's message of truth is able to go to all. Um, the second uh, issue there is that it says that the souls are going to uh, reign with Christ. Now, certainly the word souls can be uh, me talking to you and, you know, about, you know, uh, uh, there, there's uh, four souls in this room right now, okay? Uh, so we can use it to talk about a, uh, an individual, a person, but generally, both in the scriptures and in our general usage, when we're talking about souls, we're talking about the spiritual essence of individuals. Mm-hmm. So if the souls are re- reigning with Christ, 
all right, then we're talking about those who have died, right? And they are with Christ, seated in the heavenlies with him, as Colossians tells us. They're seated in the heavenlies with him. And, and, and in that sense, then they are ruling with him until uh, the end comes. Um, and then it talks about the fact that it, it, over them, the, uh, the second death has no power, which means that they've experienced the first death already. Okay, um, So if they have experienced the first death, we're talking about people who are dead. We're not talking about people who are alive. We're talking about those who, who have experienced that first death. And over them, the second death has no power. Right? Well, what is the second death? Second death is judgment, damnation. All right. Uh, so when you when you walk yourself through that passage, you you from my hermeneutical approach to things, uh, it seems to me that it's fairly clear that what we're talking about here is a, a a spiritual rule. And when I use the term spiritual, I'm not I'm not talking about um, you know some kind of uh, existential essence types right. of thing. I'm talking about the greater reality that God has for us in the spiritual realm. Uh, in other words, the new, new heavens and the new earth are going to be far more real than what we're experiencing now. Right. We're the shadow. That's the reality. So when we're talking about this being a spiritual um, the rule and reign, we're talking about the, 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 uh, the soul's who have entered into the eternal presence of God, mm-hmm. okay? They're, they haven't experienced the resurrection yet, but they are with Christ, absent from the body, present with Christ. Uh, so uh, when we're looking at, at the millennial um, issue, then we're talking about the, uh, this number 1,000 being 10 times 10 times 10, and the number 10 is the number of completion, uh, and anything that's tripled, like holy, 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 means absolute. And so it's the absolute period of time until the new heavens and new earth are created. Cool. All right. How about that? You guys understand why I love this guy so much? <laughs> Anybody else ready for a break? <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else mind blown? That was really good. I do have one further point that I'd like to... Uh, a bit, which is probably the biggest issue um, when it comes to the uh, the discussion between uh, dispensationalism and covenant theology, and that's the question of the literal interpretation of Scripture. Right. All right. So, mind if I take a moment to talk yeah, about yeah, that? Yeah. Go ahead. All right. All right. So the um, this idea of the literal interpretation of Scripture, we have to take the Scripture literally. Uh, as Howard Hendricks says, um, that we are to interpret the Scripture literally, except where uh, this, you know, it, we can't. Mm-hmm. Right. So, if it at all possible, we are to take things literally. It, and and when when individuals say that, what they're basically saying is, you covenant theologians, you don't take the Scripture literally. You spiritualize it all. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the reality is that everybody spiritualizes. If, if you're going to use that term, everybody spiritualizes the Scripture. Nobody takes the Scriptures literally. Uh, if they did, we would still be living under the Mosaic Law. We would still all have to, even as Christians, go over to live in the land of Canaan, and we would have to follow that Mosaic Law, not just parts of the Mosaic Law. We would have to follow all of it. Mm-hmm. All right? um, so we all spiritualize Right, uh, I already used the example of, of Isaiah seven fourteen. Okay, that's a spiritualizing. Matthew does that. Uh, that's a spiritualizing of what Isaiah is, says is going to be the sign to King Ahaz. Mm-hmm. Right. So everybody spiritualizes. When we go to Isaiah fifty three, we're spiritualizing Isaiah fifty three. Right. We're taking the words that are there. And we're applying them to Jesus Christ, and you, you know we're 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 making them fit there. Now, do they fit well? Absolutely, but still, we're spiritualizing that. We're doing the same thing with the Davidic Psalm, Psalm twenty-two, when we say that's about the crucifixion. 
Do I believe it's about the crucifixion? Absolutely. I certainly do believe it's about the crucifixion. However, if, you know, we're spiritualizing it. We're moving it 2,000 years or 1,000 years into the future um, from when David was writing it about his kingdom and the issues that he was facing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we all spiritualize all of Scripture, mm-hmm. right? At the same time, the covenant theologian takes things literally. You know, I look at the Old Testament. I read the Old Testament. I believe that uh, that God created uh, the heavens and the earth. I believe that Adam and Eve existed, that Abraham existed, that the people of Israel existed, that the Mosaic Law was written for the people of that time. They lived in a land. You know, we take all of that literally. But what we what we do is what I think is consistent, and that is that we see everything in the Old Covenant typologically. All right. In other words, as I said before, it is a picture. It is a type. And it is pointing us to a greater reality. Now, if you want to call that spiritualizing, okay. Um, for me, to spiritualize something is to bring it into the spiritual realm, which is eternal. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a problem with somebody saying, you're spiritualizing it. Well, I hope so. I hope we all spiritualize the Scripture. I hope we all see it in Jesus Christ. I hope we all see it as moving us towards uh, the heavens and the, the, the new heavens and the new earth and the ultimate fulfillment of God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. Right? So when we're talking about the difference between literal and spiritual, here's, here's the issue that I have. Why do we take one part of a passage and say that has to be literal? In other words, the land. God is going to restore them to a land. Well, we don't take all the rest of that passage, which is is about if they go to that land, they have to keep the Sabbath. They have to follow the Mosaic law. The Levites have to be restored. Mm-hmm. But we don't take that part and say that's going to be literal. No, we only take the one part, Israel and land, and that's right. it. If we're going to be consistent and we're going to say we have to take this literally, then we have to do that with all the parts of that passage, not just the part that, that we want. Right. So consistency, I think, is is very important when we're talking about the difference between literal and spiritual. Right. That's great. And yeah, yeah, that's kind of what we were talking about in the Genesis episode when we mentioned the Abrahamic covenant, that kind of uh, how you how you read the Bible and how you view the Bible is really going inter- to, it's really going to affect how you interpret mm-hmm. the covenants that God gives to Abraham. Yeah. So um, we want to thank Pastor Chris. It was a, it was a big, uh, <laughs> oh, um, hit him with the one clap. <laughs> big thanks to Pastor Chris. We really appreciate you coming on the show yeah. and um, explaining covenant theology so well. I mean, I've never, I've never heard covenant theology explained so well. I mean, I, I don't even know if I've heard dispensationalism explained so well. Yeah. But uh, that was a great explanation. And uh, I really hope that our fans can resonate with that. And, Me too. Um, yeah. Appreciate it, guys. Yeah, mm-hmm. thanks for everything.